podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. September 2nd, but genuinely, if you told me it was the middle of December, I would absolutely believe you today. Um, pretty busy show today, a lot going on in the Premier League. But we're going to get started with Everton, who are showing real ambition in the market this year. And that's a really, really good thing, uh, especially for a club like Everton, who have underperformed in the last few seasons. It looks like they have deals in place to sign James Rodriguez from Real Madrid and Alan from Napoli, and these are two big, big signings for them. These are two top-class players. James Rodriguez is a star. He's a global star. No matter what way you look at it, no matter how you try and break down his career, he is a global star. He's the best player in the Colombian national team. He's played for Porto, he's played for Monaco, he's played for Real Madrid, and he's played for Bayern Munich. He's won a lot of honours. He's won league titles in multiple countries. He's won Champions Leagues. He scored the goal of the tournament at the World Cup. Everybody in the game knows who James Rodriguez is. And yes, there have been times when he's flattered to deceive, but his his profile should fit really, really well into the Premier League. And while he is 29 years of age, he's coming off a season where he's barely played. I think he made... About eight league appearances last year, 14 in all competitions. So he's coming in of a very unstrenuous year. Before that, he had two years at Bayern. Um, he did play quite a bit there, 39 games in his first season, 28 in the second. But at Bayern, it's, it's heavy rotation for everybody. Um, so some of them will be sub appearances. Some of them will be games he started and went off around the 60 minute mark. So he's, he doesn't have huge mileage on his legs. Um, he's coming in because he knows Carlo. This is the Carlo Ancelotti effect. The draw of this great manager that Everton are so lucky to have. A man who's won three Champions Leagues. Remember, there's only a couple of managers who've done that. Bob Paisley, Carlo and Zinedine Zidane. So that alone puts him in the pantheon of greats. And then you look at the fact that he's won league titles all over the place. I mean, you know, obviously he won two league titles as a player with AC Milan and one as a player with Roma. He won a Serie A title as manager of Milan. He won a Premier League title as manager of Chelsea. He won the uh, the French League with Paris Saint-Germain. He won a Bundesliga with Bayern Munich. The only country he didn't win a league title in was Spain. But he did win his Champions League uh, with Real Madrid. He's just had success everywhere he's been. His CV speaks for itself. And he is going to be a huge, huge draw for players. Either that they've played with him before and they know what kind of man he is. They know what kind of manager he is. And they want that again. Or just the lure of him. 
the fact that you go with him, you've got a great chance of winning things. And I genuinely think he will build... I, I don't think he's going to build a title win or whatever, and I think there's too much of a gulf there for him to do that. But he, he could well put together a team that can win a cup. And for Everton, if they could win the FA Cup or the League Cup, that would be massive. They haven't won anything since 1995, as Liverpool fans continually remind them. And in this current era they're in, where they've got quite a bit of money to spend and the ownership of Mashiri is is a good thing for the club and if they start to progress more towards this new stadium, that'll be huge for them. But they have to take advantage of this window that they have while Mashiri is still willing to put money into the club season after season. And he's done that over the last couple of years. But you look back at their last four summer transfer windows and there's just a lot of mistakes made. Um, in 2016, they bring in Stecklenburg as a backup goalkeeper. That's a fine move. Idrissa Gay from Villa who'd just been relegated, that was an undervalued asset, who they managed to get three really good years out of and then sell at a big profit. Ashley Williams was a mistake in hindsight. Um, He just wasn't the calibre of player that they should have been aiming for if they wanted to go and become a, a team that challenges for European places. The same for Yannick Balassi. But they picked up Calvert-Lewin for a million and a half which was a really smart signing, and he's developed into a very good player. They'd easily get $25 million if they sold him at the minute. They bought Adam Ola Luckman in the January, and I thought that was a fantastic signing for them. Uh, but then they messed up and bought Morgan Schneidlin at the same time. And Schneidlin had been fantastic at Southampton next to Wanyama, went to United without Wanyama, and got badly exposed. Um as a fairly run-of-the-mill average player, and that's all he really was for Everton, and it's taken them quite a while to get him off the books. He's finally gone now. Then the following summer, they go and they go big on Davy Klassen, and that's fine. He's a talented player. Maybe had spent a little bit too long in the Eredivisie, but a talented player. Hen- Henry Onyekuro comes in, another really talented young player. You can kind of see a pattern emerging where they're going for undervalued, assets and young players and they're going to try and build something Jordan Pickford and Michael Keane arrived and at the time they didn't look like bad signings Pickford had at that point even developed a habit of just conceding far too many goals and that's something that's followed him to Everton but Keane looked a good signing coming from Burnley where he'd really really impressed under Sean Dyche who's one of the best around at developing centre-backs they bring in Sandro Ramirez. Again, it's a young player, but also maybe an, under, an undervalued asset. Josh Bowler arrives. Lewis Gibson arrives. But then it starts to get weird. The, the Rooney signing made no sense. If you've just brought in Klassen, why are you bringing in Rooney? Then they bring in Gilfie Sigurdsson. And if you've just brought in Rooney and Klassen, why are you bringing in Gilfie? That was a really, really strange decision to spend £40 million on Gilfie Sigurdsson when you'd already bought that summer alone two players who played the same position. And then you compound that by going and signing Nikola Vlasic, who plays the same position 
funnily enough, has turned out to be the best of the four, and yet Everton had sold him uh, by have sold him by now. Uh, in the January, they signed Cenk Tolson and Theo Walcott, and again, these are just really, really strange moves. They're short-term moves. That was the the, the winter the window where they had Allardyce. And Allardyce had come in and said, I'm going to keep you up. I'll keep you up. And then you'll give me a massive bonus when I do it. And by the time he actually took over, David Unsworth had gotten them into a good position. Allardyce bumped them up a couple of, a couple of places in the league. And they ended up finishing eighth. But as far as I can remember, they're like 12th to 13th when, when Allardyce took over because Unsworth had won his games in charge. And yet they were absolutely happy to give Sam Allardyce a massive bonus uh, when he told them at the end of the year, right, I kept you up, give me my money. Um, in the summer of 2018 then, they finally got the manager they wanted. They got Marco Silva in. This was the, the one, this was the fellow that they they pursued. And they have a a really promising window. Richarlison arrives, great signing. Lucas Digne arrives, really good signing. Bernard arrives in a free. Now, they, the wages are probably very high, but a, a talented player. And then Yeri Mina arrives, and he's he's got the talent, he's got the size, he's got the ability, excuse me, the ability. But there were question marks over injuries and concentration. But all in all, a promising window other than the two loan deals. Andre Gomes comes in, and Everton fans will dis- will disagree with this, but he's too slow to play any sort of effective style in the Premier League. He's too slow. And then they brought in Kurt Zuma from Chelsea, who the last we'd seen was having a pretty embarrassing time at Stoke. It didn't make sense to bring him in. You already had um, Keane and Mina and Gibson, who you'd brought in a couple of years ago, the young centre-back. And you had Mason Holgate. And then for some reason, Mason Holgate basically gets consigned to the bench and then loaned out in the January, despite the fact that he's probably the best defensive player at the club, which he's proven in the last year. And then this past summer, I actually like, for the most part, what they did. Uh, they bring in Fabian Delph for 8 to 10 million. It's a good signing just from an adding experience and depth point of view. Gabaman was a really good signing. Unfortunately, he has just been injured all year. Uh, Moise Keane's one of the most highly rated young players in Europe. Alex Awobi was an overpay, but I do like Awobi. I think he's a good player. I think in the right system, he can be a very effective player. They bring in Sidibe on loan. He's not long removed from having been the first choice French right back. And they sign Andre Gomes for 22 million. I'm like, you're going in the right direction. You just veer off course. Um, in this time, they also, they sell Vlasic. They sell um, Anthony Robinson, who's a really promising young left-back. They sell Adamola Luckman. 
they sell on Yukuro. So they've sold four really promising young players who could play a massive part in their squad. Robinson would give you a quality backup to Lucas Dina, which is what you need given Leighton Baines is like 57. Adam Ola Luckman could have been starting forever. A front three of Richarlison on the right, Luckman, or Richarlison on the left, Luckman on the right, and either Calvert Lewin or Moise Keane, depending on who's in form. That front three would cause pretty much every team in the league uh, problems. If you then add Vlasic in midfield as a creator and Anya Koro off the bench, all of a sudden you have a really exciting young core. Add Holgate. I mean, Dini is only in his mid-twenties. Mina's in his mid-twenties. Um, again, I'm, I'm not keen on Pickford, but he's in his mid-twenties. Gabaman's early early 20s. You're not that far away. I, I like Tom Davies, I think, more than most. I think he's been badly developed by Everton, but I think he's a good player. All of a sudden, you'd have the, the makings of something that you could develop into you know, a real a real team. Um, but under Carlo, things are going to go in a slightly different direction. There won't be as much focus on youth. I think they're going to look for undervalued assets, but they're going to go star hunting a little bit. And that's what they're doing here. As I said, James Rodriguez is a star. Alan is one of the best-known players in Europe as well. Regular in the Champions League over the last four, five, six years with Napoli. One of the best midfielders in Europe at his best. Without a doubt, one of the best midfielders in Europe when he's on form. Uh, has single-handedly bullied the Liverpool midfield on multiple occasions. So, with a bit of luck for Everton, this will signal the end of the bad spending. And by bad spending, I mean 40 million on Gilfie Sigurdsson. I mean 20 plus million on Andre Gomes, who's just not quite that type of player. I mean, he's talented. He has quite a few good games for Everton, but he puts a ceiling on where you can go. Now, I expect that they'll line up in something of a 4-4-2 next year with Hammers on the right, Iwobi on the left, Alan plus one in midfield, Richarlison plus one up front. That's the makings of something. If Gabaman can stay fit, then he is the perfect complement to Alan in midfield because he is a natural defensive midfielder and will allow Alan to play that little bit higher, be a little bit more aggressive, do his more natural game. I'd worry if they sign Decore that they'll put Alan in a more holding role, which isn't really what you want him doing. Um, and I'm I'm not a fan of Decore. I have to say I'm not a fan of Decore. I think I think he's a good player. I think there's good attributes he has, but as a team with ambitions for Europe, no, absolutely not. Mid table, fine. That's you're going to be your ceiling. That's an Andre Gomes type signing. Um, they still need to do work. They still need to sort out right back. Kenny Tete has been mentioned, the Leon and uh, Netherlands right back. He is a good player, had good schooling at Ajax, technically quite good on the ball, very solid defensively, gets forward, not as good going forward as Dinia, but I mean, Lucas Dinia is one of the four best left backs in the league. So, you know, he's, he's one of their best players. Um, but Tete would be a, a good compliment. 
I think Holgate's the best centre-back. I think it has to be Holgate plus one. So you just have a straight competition between Keane and Mina, and whoever wins, that's who goes next to Holgate. But I think Holgate has to be in the team. And I would be considering a move for a new goalkeeper, but I don't know that you'll find anyone to take Jordan Pickford off your hands. He just makes far too many mistakes. He's mental lapses. He's not good on crosses. I don't like goalkeepers that concede that many goals. I have to say, I, I just don't. And he has a habit of conceding an awful lot of goals. And that, to me, is a worrying sign. It's, it's something that's just been in him since he was young. At, at you know, at Sunderland and out on loan, he just concedes a, a lot of goals. And yes, he plays behind bad defenses, but it's not always an excuse. It really isn't always an excuse. So yeah, a good start for Everton this summer. Still have more to do. Um, it'll, it's, it's going to be interesting with Carlo. He's never rebuilt a team before. Uh, so this is, this is new to him. And, and with respect, Everton are the smallest club he's managed in a long, long time. Um, so that's, that's a different thing for him. I mean, you look at the clubs, Napoli, Bayern, Real, PSG, Chelsea, Milan, Juve. You've got to go all the way back to Parma. Everton are a bigger club than Parma, but you know, Parma and Reggiana, they're the first two clubs he managed, and they're the only two clubs he's managed that would be smaller in stature than Everton. He's he's only really managed giants over the last twenty one years. So Everton have a lot to live up to because the thing is, Carlo won't accept anything other than the highest standards. So if Everton aren't aren't willing to be as ambitious as he is, then they risk losing him. Uh, speaking of losing things, I, I watched um, I watched the first three episodes of uh, Tottenham Hotspur All or Nothing on Amazon Prime, and it appears they lost most of the footage of the uh, Maurizio Pochettino part of the season because they showed about six minutes of him and then he was just gone. Now I assume maybe that's in part because he was fired uh, when they agreed on his severance package. Maybe he just insisted that uh, there be a lot less of him. But so far I, I found it very, very good. I, I love the Manchester City one when they did that one. And I think this is actually is even better. I think Mourinho looks refreshed uh, so far. Now, obviously, as the season goes on, uh, you know, he did seem from the outside to tire, and we'll see how that comes across in the show. But he looked refreshed when he walked back in, which I didn't think he would. I, I, I didn't think he'd had long enough off. I thought he needed to take this full season off, so he'd have half a last season, and then this full season just finished. So 18 months of a break, and I thought that would, that would help him. Um, I think it's interesting to see some of his, you know, tactical approach, how he goes about mo- motivating players. You can see how he gets that dressing room on board, how he builds those relationships with players. That is interesting because I'd always wondered about that because that's sort of his thing. From the from op- an opposition point of view, he was despised, but his players always loved him up until Real. But his Porto team, his Chelsea team, his Inter Milan team, the first time, first Chelsea team, 
they'd have all run through walls for him. And to this day, they still call him boss. To this day, they all speak glowingly about him. Um, he tarnished that at, at Real when he fell out with Casillas and then the squad split. He tarnished it at Chelsea when he fell out with Hazard and the squad split. And he tarnished it at United when he fell out with Pogba. And you can see a bit of a, a recurring theme there. Um, if I was to pick a player that he might fall out, Deli Ali would be uh, potentially top of the list. Um, purely on the basis that I, I wasn't aware that Delhi was such a bad trainer. And yet it's mentioned multiple times how poor he is in training, how lazy he is in training. And Mourinho says to him, I knew before I came here. So if that's something that's making its way around about Delhi, um, that's not a good thing. And it maybe explains why he's had two very disappointing seasons back to back. And even that 17-18 season, there was a dip in his form. He'd been so good the previous two years. His first two years in the league, he was remarkably good. Then he had a good third season, but not as good. And then he just had, he's had bad seasons the last two years. He still had good performances and put up decent numbers in terms of goals and assists. But it hasn't been the same level. And that's a little bit of a concern, given he should just be entering his, you know, his prime years. But if he's not going to perform, maybe we've already seen the best of Delhi. If he's not putting in the work on the training ground, maybe there's not another level to go. Because that was always the expectation. Like, wow, imagine what he'll be like when he goes to the next level. And then the one after that. But he hasn't even reached that next level three years later. So that's concerning. And I don't know that Mourinho will put up with... um, with a lack of effort on the training ground. I really don't. The other thing that struck me is how much upheaval there was at Spurs that season. And it does kind of excuse why they finished sixth. And there's no question they have a top four squad. Absolutely no question. Next week, I'm going to be picking my way too early uh, final table and predicting where each team will finish. And I'm just going to tell you now, Spurs are in my top four. There's no question that squad's a top four squad, but last year they just had so much upheaval and they had a lot of injury issues as well. I mean, Kane was out for months, Sun missed a couple of months, Delhi had a bad season and Endombele had a bad season, took Lacelso a couple of months to settle in. Then you had all the contract stuff with, with Toby Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen and Christian Eriksen and if you ask somebody to name the five defining players of this last period of Spurs where they've been a title contender or a top four team, Eriksen, Alderweireld and Vertonghen will be three of the five. I think 90% of people would say those those three, plus Kane, obviously, and plus Delhi. I think that would be the five you'd get. So you get Delhi has a bad season. Kane has a bad injury season. Eriksson's in the last year of his contract and ends up leaving. Alderweireld's in the last year of his contract. And Vertonghen's in the last year of his contract. So that's your five key pieces. All with question marks over them. Then you've got Danny Rose was another foundational piece of that team. And he's having issues at Spurs. 
goes on loan in January. So I think this does excuse why they had such a bad year. Um, and I expect a bounce back here. The one, Ericsson is an interesting thing because there's rumours now that Inter are already looking to sell him. And I suggested yesterday that maybe it was the case where they bought him because he was cheap and the aim was to flip him and make a big profit, not obviously knowing that COVID was coming. They'll still make a profit on him if they sell him. You'll still get a lot of interest in, in a player like Christian Eriksen. Like Manchester City could look at him. I mean, David Silva's gone. There's been talk of, uh, of our from Leon, but it might be easier to get Christian Eriksen. But Daniel Levy was talking to Mourinho and he, he said, it's all his agents. It's his agent. It's not him. He doesn't really talk about these things. It's the agent. But Ericsson did a little, you know, a little snippet where he said, I've, my name gets linked to lots and lots of clubs. Some of them I haven't even heard of. It's my career, it's my life that these people are talking about. And then he said something that I think is massively underplayed. He said that there's no accountability for journalists. That they can write whatever they want and when it's wrong, nobody ever comes back at them. And I I could not agree more. We see so many journalists make up absolute lies about potential transfers, contract negotiations, and whatever else, and never ever have to come out and say, yeah, no, I got that wrong. Like, I'm not even asking them, because, and I, I guarantee they make a lot of it up. This player is unhappy. Here's a club with some money to spend. Let's throw them together. That's a rumor. People will believe that. They don't even have to come out and say, yeah, I made it up. But they won't even say, yeah, no, I got that one wrong. My intel was off. And there's there's so many examples. There's so many different journalists that do this. Uh, one in particular that used, I don't know, maybe still does rights for the, the Daily Mirror. And somebody uh, on social media took the time to troll through about five years worth of his comment, of his, um, his articles and his columns and put together a definitive list of the transfer rumors that he had pushed forward. And he had a success rate of less than 1%. There were hundreds, maybe 200, maybe not like 900, maybe 200 different rumors that he had pushed forward or mentioned or links that he had mentioned and he had a success rate of less than 1%. And no one ever called him on it. We've got transfer experts, football insiders now who just guess all the time and make things up. And no one calls them on it. People just follow them on Twitter. Click the articles when they come out, make them some money. I understand that journalists are under pressure now because it is a clickbait world that we live in. And especially if you work for a tabloid, um, 
they're all clickbait sites. You know, they've all gone that way. It's disappointing to see, you know, a paper like The Guardian has gone that way, become all about clicks. But this is the world we live in now. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting to hear Ericsson say it. And I wonder, is that something that's become prevalent among players? Because there's definitely, journalists are definitely getting less access now than they used to. They're getting less intel off players now than they used to. And I wonder if this is players just getting sick of their names being thrown around. Um, I mentioned yesterday that I felt West Brom had some work to do. And it appears they are getting to work. John Percy, who's not one of the journalists I'm referring to in my previous rant, uh, John Percy of The Telegraph is very, very good. And he says that uh, they are in talks with West Ham to bring back in Grady Diangana on a permanent deal, that they're trying to sign Carlin Grant from Huddersfield, uh, that Krovinovic, uh, who was there on loan last year, they're in talks to make his signing permanent. And David Button, the goalkeeper from Brighton, um, they're looking to bring him in for squad depth. Um, Kravinovic is good, and he was important for them last year, so it makes sense to keep hold of him. Carlin Grant, I, I said ye- yesterday, they need goals. Charlie Austin will get you goals, but he'll also miss half the season. But Carlin Grant is a workhorse. Uh, he's fit all the time. 19 goals last year in a fairly poor Huddersfield team. Um, in the championship, four and thirteen the year before in their relegation campaign in the Premier League, that was impressive in that team, and uh, I think he's a very good player. I I really like, I really like that as a potential target for them. If they can land him, he will get them some goals, and and I think the pairing of him and Austin will work well together as well. If they can land in Ghana, there's two things that come out of it. One, they're getting an absolute steal. Uh, 12 million is the rumored price. Now, I'd imagine it'll be a little bit higher than that in the end, plus add-ons. But if they do that, that's a steal. Uh, and it also shows that West Ham are really, really silly. Really, really silly. You're giving up one of the better young English players. Um, to what end? Like, to fund something else? Is that where West Ham are now? Are they having to sell their best young players to fund whatever it is David Moyes wants to do? Because if that's the case, then I'd imagine Declan Rice is probably on the way out this summer as well. Um, if Chelsea make an offer, I, I think, and it's a big enough offer, I think West Ham will accept it. Uh, but, but Grant and Dean Gann are smart signings for West Brom. They're signings that are long-term as well, because unless... One of them has, or both of them have, immense seasons in the Premier League. If they get relegated, you could see both of those players just going down with them and helping them rebuild to come back up. So it's signings that impact them now and signings that can help them uh, for the long term. Smart business. Uh, We'll wrap up with a couple of pieces off the uh, BBC football gossip page. Paris Saint-Germain have made a bid of 25 million plus 5 million add-ons for Arsenal right-back Hector Bellerin. I think Arsenal, if they can get good money for him, should move him on. If they're going to play 
uh, a back three. I think Maitland-Niles is a better player than Bellerin. I think he'll also develop into a better defender. Bellerin's good going forward, but I don't like him defensively. Um, I don't think either of them are the answer if they want to play a back four. But I would rather sell Bellerin and keep Maitland-Niles, if I'm being honest. Um, at least if I play a back four, I can use Maitland-Niles in different places. Bellerin becomes pretty much useless to me. Um, interestingly, the Premier League clubs are going to vote on a curtailment plan to be used to determine determine final league positions if future seasons are abandoned due to any you know pandemics that we might get down the road. You'd imagine points per game um, and no relegation is going to be what gets pushed. Uh, it would be unfair. I think it, I think that's potentially what would have happened this year if they hadn't brought the games back. They would have gone points per game, not relegated anybody, maybe only promoted two. And that way you start next season with a um, with a, a 22-team Premier League. You relegate four next season and again only promote two to get yourself back to 20. Uh, a second vote on the use of five substitutions in the Premier League next season is facing defeat at Thursday. I don't know why they're having a second vote. They already had a vote. Is that not enough? People already voted. They don't want the five subs um, and they shouldn't either. I, I do like the idea of the extended bench and having nine subs, but I think what you should do there is have nine subs and four of them should have to be academy graduates. Now, even if they're 28, 29, once they came to your academy, I'm fine with that. Obviously, the idea would be to get more young players on the bench, but I think, you know, keep the nine-man bench for academy graduates graduates as a minimum in the, in the match day squad. Um, Chelsea want 80 million for N'Golo Kante of course they do but they're not going to get it uh, Thomas Partey is keen to move to Arsenal I don't know that he is I mean he might be but Arsenal haven't come close to paying his release clause which is 50 million pounds so you know it seems unlikely I think there's, I think there's other options out there that Arsenal could pursue for less money who would give them the same thing and maybe be a bit more in line with the the age trend of the team. A little bit more on that tomorrow. Uh, Monaco have expressed interest in Abdoulaye Ducouré after Everton failed with a bid. I, I, if I was Everton, I would not bid again. It's that simple. Uh, Kepa is prepared to stay and fight for his Chelsea place, even if the club are successful in signing a new goalkeeper. Well, he's going to have to stay because nobody's going to buy him because Chelsea paid an obscene amount of money and nobody's going to pay close to it. Nobody will take him on loan because his wages are ridiculous and he's probably happy to stay and collect his wages because they are ridiculous. Uh, he's not as bad a goalkeeper as we've seen. He's a better goalkeeper than we've seen at Chelsea. Simple as that. Put a real defence in front of him and let's see what happens. Uh, Newcastle are attempting to structure a deal for Bournemouth's Callum Wilson. That would see uh, Matt Ritchie rejoin Bournemouth. But Aston Villa are also keen on the striker. I think Villa's interest is purely to try and spark Brentford to lower the price a little bit on Ollie Watkins. Um, Callum Wilson to Newcastle is an interesting one. Him and Jolington could be 
could be interesting. Rumours are that uh, Ryan Fraser is going to go to Newcastle as well. So, you know, you'd have Fraser, St. Maximum, and um, and Miguel Almiron as your wide options. So you can rotate those two. And if, that's if you want to play two up front. I'd quite like to see Wilson and, and Jolinton play up front. Could be a little bit similar to Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes, which is a very effective way of playing. Um, they've got the right midfielders to play that kind of way. Need to sort the fullbacks out, though. Uh, Crystal Palace have rejected an offer in the region of £20 million for uh, for Sorlock from RB Leipzig. He's still got a year on loan. They'd have to buy him out of that loan and then sell him. So it doesn't really make sense. You might as well leave him there. This one I thought was funny. Uh, Juventus want Barca. I know it's not Premier League related, but bear with me. Juventus want Barcelona and Uruguay forward Luis Suarez or uh, Roma's Eden Dzeko. Now, they told Gonzalo Higuain, you're too old and you earn too much money. He's 32. Suarez is 33 and Dzeko's 34. They're both going to want similar types of money. Are they better than him? Are they better than Higuain? I mean, Suarez at his best was... I don't know. Juve are just... They're doing strange things in the last couple of years. They really, really are. Um, I, I just swerved them all. And if I was those players, I'd swerve that move as well. You go to play Ronaldo, you're, you're going to score an awful lot less goals. That's just how it is. Uh, Fulham are looking into the possibility of signing Bertrand Traore from Lyon. Bertrand Traore, of course, former Chelsea player, would be a good signing. Um, would be a good signing for Fulham. Can play wide, but probably is better up front. Him and Mitrovic would be a real handful. His pace, his ability on the ball. Um, he's a weirdly awkward player to try and try and stop as well. Um, that him and Mitrovic together could be really, really good. I, I'd be interested to see that one. Genuinely. So that's it. That's me for today. Um, a couple of quick things. On Friday, I'm going to have John Wallen, the fantasy gaffer, on to talk about fantasy football and give you all some hints and tips on what players to pick in your fantasy football teams this year to, you know, let you know what players he expects to have breakout years or bounce back years or to carry on good form from last year. So that's Friday. Tomorrow, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick one player for each 20 clubs that I think they should sign or try and sign, but actually sign. I'm going to try and avoid anyone that's already been linked in the mainstream media. And one player for each club. Producer guy may have to help me out. He may have to speak. But that's fine. He enjoys it. He's all about the limelight. He pretends he's not, but he is. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to EPLindex.com for giving us the platform. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, LibertyShield.com. Uh, Liberty Shield are a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com. Thank you for listening, as always, and I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourself.
Social Podcast Network.